0: I am more and more convinced that religion has a God problem, that there is this lingering, outdated, even destructive notion of a supernatural being who controls, predetermines, and is immovable. A God like that might seem all-powerful, but in my experience, that God ends up being powerless, useless, not worth being in relationship with, because honestly, what difference would it make?
1: Some people who believe in God think God not only controls everything, but predestined everything from the foundations of the world. If I had that view of God, I would never pray. At least not prayers that ask God to do something, what we call petitionary prayers. Because if God's already predetermined absolutely everything, then what's the point of asking God to do anything different than God has already determined God will do?
0: I'm Beth Hayward, and this is Souls and Souls. I'm in conversation today with Dr. Thomas J. Ord, theologian, philosopher, scholar. He's known for his contributions to research on love, open and relational theology, science and religion. He has a great podcast called Ord Shorts, Open Relational Theology Shorts, with titles like Apocalypse, The Limitation of God's Power, where in just a couple minutes, he explains big ideas. Tom's written oodles of books. His latest to be released this month is entitled Pluriform Love. Don't let his credentials scare you. Tom is as comfortable explaining these big ideas to the spiritual amateur as he is to his doctoral students. So welcome, Tom. It is great to have you back.
1: Thanks for having me back, and thanks for that intro. You are the first person I have heard talk about my new podcast with those little three-minute episodes. So thank you. Thank you very much.
0: Well, your podcasts are just my speed. I mean, I might produce 40-minute podcasts, but I love that I can go in and listen for three minutes and come out with something that I can <laughs> quote and look brilliant from. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I was thinking when I was decided to do that format that I, I would— I would drive from my house to the gym and I think you know uh, some kind of podcast I could listen to in that 5 minutes span would be perfect so anyway so
0: true so true I listen to
1: longer ones as well but
0: <laughs> yeah no I highly recommend them for others it's a and it's a really great intro to uh, to the work you do and the the theology that you practice so mm, thanks So I mentioned the new book um the 20 something book <laughs> uh Pluriform love. Now you are like a master of making up words.
1: So
0: So, so do tell us uh, like what in the world, what in the world is pluriform love?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I've heard so many people say love is X, but not Y. Love is Z, but not W or whatever, especially in Christian circles, especially amongst those who want to have this really clear demarcation between, you know, the Christian love and the secular love, supernatural and natural, God's love and our love. And I not only don't think that makes a lot of sense, but I don't think it's very well supported in the Bible and Scripture itself. So I wanted a word that sounded like there's many different forms. So that's the form part of it, and the plural is the many. Uh, and yet, at the same time, this book offers what I think is like a, a an overarching or an umbrella definition of what love is. So one big definition, but lots and lots of expressions.
0: Hmm. And uh, and you go deep into this. Uh idea of agape love, which, uh, I mean, those of us who grew up in some churches, like that's, that's the love to talk about, right? That's, that's the gold standard of love.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: you know, for those who haven't spent years uh, studying the various Greek words for love, um, what is it you do with that? What's the history of agape and, and what do you do with it? That's a little different.
1: Yeah. People like you and me and many others who grew up in the church have heard that word, but they would be surprised to hear that a hundred years ago, that word was not bantied around in any churches or Sunday schools or Christian meetings of any sort. Uh, you know, people had the the Greek New Testament, but uh, a book written in the or 1930s and translated into English in the 50s was called Agape and Eros. And the author, a theologian, um, made this big claim that Agape is the true love. It's God's love. It's unconditional, self-sacrificial, all kinds of things. And Eros is a bad love. It's the world love. It's the secular love. It's, And he made his claim—I think his claim is bogus, and much of my book is arguing against it—but uh, he made it so convincingly, and a lot of people wanted some language to distinguish between loves, that it caught on, and now even, you know, people with no academic background who are Christians have often heard that word.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of—I mean, if you're saying it was translated in the 50s. I mean, it— um mid 20th century to the late 20th century was kind of this time period when we sure did like, uh, dichotomies. We like to know yeah. if things were this or that. Yeah. So I almost see your, your pluriform idea as a being, um, of this moment in time, uh, that we are trying mm. to have more of a nuance to how we understand and relate to the world. Um, uh, well, what was your goal in trying to say oh, that's it's just not that simple that um, there's a god love and a human earthly love
1: yeah well i mean part of it was kind of nerdy scholarship <laughs> <laughs> the nerdy scholarship was that the bible doesn't really support the idea that there's these two radically different kinds of loves and one is good and godly and the other is bad and earthly it's just that's not the way the word agape is used in the bible so I had the nerdy side going, Mm -hmm. but there was the other side that that you're pointing to that um, I do think, well, it's going to sound really trite, but I do think love is the answer. (laughs) And (laughs) (laughs) love is multifarious, multidimensional, multi-meaningful. And a book that took both the Bible seriously and our contemporary age Seriously, could actually find a way to bring those two together in an inclusive kind of way.
0: Mm. Well, that's interesting because, you know, I, I read your book and um, I found it nerdy for the first half. <laughs> <laughs> Note to folks: This is an excellent textbook for um, <laughs> seminary. But read the second <laughs> half, and you'll—if uh, you're like me—and you want to know how it relates to your life, you'll be right into it. <laughs> uh, but this—you started with scripture, but that I always go to, well, what's the stuff matter in life? And yeah. um, and I hear what I love about you some of the bad theology of the late 20th century was oh we have the social problem let's overlay that um let's use that as our starting place but I think when you start with the scriptures the way you do and then have it make sense in our world I think you're giving uh, more legitimacy to Mm. your work um so that it's hard for um I guess people of faith or Christians who might say, here's the only interpretation. Um, Here's the biblical interpretation.
1: Yeah. (laughs) They got to
0: wrestle with you then.
1: (laughs) Right, right. Because I don't know about you, but I hang out with people sometimes who, you know, they think any reference to love is like fluffy, fluffy kind of, well, you're not really serious intellectually. If you really knew the Bible and theology, you'd know that it's much deeper than love. And I want to say to those people, no, 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 no. Biblical ideas about love are at the very depth of what it means to be a Christian and think about God, but there are certain theological ideas that, in my view at least, have distorted views of love. And I think a lot of people, like on the street, who don't have an education, theological education in their background, they sense this too. You know, take like, take like um, the idea of hell. I mean, how many people do you know who just think a loving God wouldn't send people to eternal conscious torment? I'm one of those people. And there's lots of people out there. And their moral intuition says, look, if love is truly love, as least as I want to think it is, it can't mean that. And yet all these theologians today and in history have said, yep, a loving God sends people to hell forever. That just makes no sense. And I don't think it's uh, well supported biblically.
0: Well, I think it um it sure can be helpful for folks to hear that someone like yourself who uh, still goes to church every Sunday uh, is willing to say that <laughs> that belief that's out there and held by so many I, that you think it, it's it's uh, out of whack too. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, and that's I mean, that's just the beginning in my book. I mean, yeah. uh, as you know me well enough, i I feel free to fight the powers of um, what I think, uh, powers that undermine the goodness of love, both godly love and human love. And um, this book is kind of an academic uh, punch in that direction.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, so here's the the thing. I mean, this, it's not your first book on love, <laughs> but it's also not your first book about God and the nature of God. And, and so... I, Why? Why does it matter so much to you to keep pressing in and offering this fresh articulation of what God is? Why are you so relentless with that?
1: (laughs) There are a ton of reasons. Let me focus on two. I couldn't be a Christian if I thought love wasn't the center. Like, I didn't decide to be a Christian and think, well, maybe I ought to add love to this. No, for me, I left Christianity and returned because of my intuitions about love. These deep uh, beliefs that, in some sense, as I've already said, love is the answer, and that Christianity, rightly understood, could provide a conceptual framework and particular practices, ways of being in the world that could help me think and live out that kind of love. So part of my reasoning is very personal. Love is my personal aim in life. But the other one that I should mention is that I, I think I'm not the only one who thinks that love is important. Like, <laughs> I think a whole <laughs> lot of people who don't even believe in God think love is important. And a lot of Christians and folks from other religious traditions. And, I mean, I think ultimately Jesus thought love was the most important. So it's not just about my own existential journey and adventure. It's also about the journeys and adventures of people all over the world.
0: Hmm. So let's... Let's try to get practical about that then. So, okay. um, so love is God is love. Like, let, I don't know. Let's um, let's take climate change. Let's yeah. just start with something small. Like where, um, yeah. Uh, and and then I I might even go to something personal next. But let's start actually. You know, huge like that. Obviously, where where's God in the big stuff that's happening? Like, where's this God of love in this stuff that. It troubles our hearts these days.
1: Love plays the center in my attempt to try to make sense of what's happening in terms of climate change. I think God not only loves humans in the sense of wanting their well-being, but God loves all creatures, uh, complex and simple, and wants their well-being. I think even spiders and snakes... Even spiders? <laughs> So, um, you know, I think God wants us to act for the good of the planet, not for our own good, for sure, but for other creatures good, uh, because God wants the well-being of all. So that's one of the key uh, um, intuitions, beliefs I have. But there's another belief I have about God that some folks might not have thought too much about. And that is, if God really cares about our well-being so deeply and the well-being of other creatures, then why would God even allow climate change in the first place? Why would God, why wouldn't God step in and single-handedly fix the thing uh, instead of having us endure pain and, and what looks like going to be a lot more pain into the future? And here, my views about God's power uh, make my response to climate change that um, we can't. We can't expect God to single-handedly fix it because in my view, God simply can't. God requires our cooperation to combat climate change. And that then means that it not only helps us think about our essential role in the process, but also helps us, um, I think, um, give a good explanation for why doesn't God just doesn't up and fix it all alone.
0: So I guess you'd have the same answer if I asked, you know, why, (laughs) why can it feel sometimes like you're in a rut in your life and you can't, (laughs) why, why, uh, you know, why are there struggles that we keep coming up against and, uh, you know, where's Mm. God in the helping out of that stuff?
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, I think, you know, I think God's always working. So it's not all on our own shoulders. And I think sometimes um, it, you know, we we rely on the help of others. So sometimes we do the best we can. God does the best God can. But we still need the help of those outside this God personal relationship. We need a community, and um, so the other forces and factors involved. Sometimes people will say to me, well, you know, I really want to overcome some obstacle. Maybe it's a personal problem or a health issue. And and they'll say, why doesn't God deliver me? And I say, well, the God I believe in can't just up and single-handedly fix you. God is working to fix you, but God requires cooperation. And they'll say, well, I'm cooperating fully with God as best I know how. And I'll say, I have no doubt that you are, but you're not the only actor in the world. You're not the only agent, even in your own bodies. There's other cells and organs and so, uh, yes, you do need to cooperate with God and God is working, but sometimes the good results we want to see are not because we haven't tried hard enough or had enough faith, but there are other forces and factors that have to come into play.
0: Mm. So do you pray? <laughs> do you... I do. <laughs> <laughs> and I just wondering, like, what, what, what do you pray for with that kind of God? How, what? What is what does prayer look like and and what difference? You know, to what end? Who's it for? What's it do?
1: Would you indulge me in allowing me to give a kind of a long answer yeah, to that? I
0: know how to edit you if we get bored.
1: You can cut me, yeah. <laughs> Go for it. Some people who believe in God think God not only controls everything, but predestined everything from the foundations of the world. If I had that view of God, I would never pray. At least not prayers that ask God to do something, what we call petitionary prayers. Because if God's already predetermined absolutely everything, then what's the point of asking God to do anything different than God has already determined God will do? Most people I know don't have that view of God, however. Most people seem to have a view of God that says God could step in and single-handedly fix something, but often sits around on his butt waiting for us to ask. Kind of arms crossed saying, you know, Beth, you got to ask me 17 times before I'm going to get off my butt and do something about this. Of course, that does not portray a picture of a loving God who's eager to help us at any time, even when we don't ask. I mean, imagine if one of your kids is, you're out at the Pacific Ocean, and one of your kids is swimming, and you start to see uh, this child starts to go underwater, and uh, the child doesn't yell out for your help. And you're on the beach, and you're thinking, you know, I could jump in and help, but they haven't asked me, so I ain't going to do anything. No one would think you're a perfect Mm -hmm. mother, right? But that's the way a lot of people think about God. God could just up and fix things all alone, but won't do it unless we beg, plead, you know, double cross our fingers, give extra money to the church, whatever. Of course, you're not opposed to (laughs) that.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, (laughs) cut that out. (laughs) (laughs) So
1: those two views of God, I don't think make a lot of sense, at least a petitionary prayer. Some people then go to a third model. They say, Look, prayer doesn't change God, it only changes me. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm totally on board with the idea that prayer can change us, but I think there's good reasons to think that prayer can actually have an influence on God and on what the future might be. So I want to propose a fourth model here. This model says God really is influenced by everything we do, including our prayers. And this model says God moves through time with us such that what we do in one moment has an effect upon God and how God might respond in the next moment. And it says we live in an interrelated universe that says our actions affect God and others. Given that conceptual scheme, I think petitionary prayer can actually make a difference in what happens in the future. It doesn't mean that if we pray, God can somehow step in and control things. I'm, not, I'm against that view of God. But it does mean that when we pray, God has additional relational information, input, data, something God can work with that's new, that might just make a difference in how the future unfolds.
0: All right, now I'm thinking, because uh, you have, uh, one of your art shorts is called anthropomorphism, and I'm thinking, okay, mm. we're praying to God. Um, mm. it, <laughs> it's so hard to not pray to grandpa in the mm. sky. Um, yeah. What harm do we do to ourselves, or how do we impede our own spiritual deepening um, when we, just hold, cling so tightly to an image of, uh, you know, God be made in our image, perhaps, rather than the other way around. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. I come from a tradition in which, at least when I was a kid, that's what I thought of God, is like a really big-body human, you know, up in the sky. Uh, and then I always had a hard time figuring out how God could hear my prayers and the prayers for people in China. <laughs> it never quite got into my head. <laughs> I think God's a universal spirit, so God can hear prayers wherever we are, even those that are unsaid. So God's always present to everyone and all the time. And I think God's nature is always loving. So while you might worry that uh, you know the anthropomorphic God, the God who's the big grandpa upstairs, might have a temper tantrum or hold a grudge, we don't have to worry about the universal loving spirit holding a grudge or having a temper tantrum. Um, So in those ways, yeah, God's not like the big guy in the sky. However, because I think God is relational and responds to us, God's also not not like the force in Star Wars, who's kind of just there but not really Mm -hmm. doing anything. God's more than the glue of the universe. There's this real responsiveness and agency in God. So I think we have to have sort of a balance between the God who is not personal at all, or the God who's your big buddy in the sky?
0: Nuance again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I look at the divisions, the, the, you know, the entrenchment of views of left and right. Um, it feels like mm-hmm. a lot of that's been exposed in the past couple of years. That, And in a world that feels more and more out of our control, it's it seems to be our tendency to cling to what we know for sure but i i'm wondering mm. i mean you i guess the, my question is does are you having an impact like do you feel like um in some small way you're pressing to understand god in this way that's biblical and also reflective of what we know in our lives it's, Do you think it's having any impact on that division that seems so entrenched?
1: Yeah. What impact is having on the division? I'm not entirely sure. I know it's having an impact because I get letters weekly from people who read my books and say, thank God, here's a perspective that makes sense of Mm -hmm. my life. Now, I don't want to claim that once they read these ideas, they all of a sudden are best buddy with their fundamentalist uncle or something like that. So there's still those divisions there that, that we have to work through. But one of the things about this vision of God that I call an open and relational vision is that it transcends any particular Christian denomination. It transcends Christianity itself. It's in part of other, I have Muslim friends who are open and relational, Jewish friends. It transcends even religion. I have people who don't claim to be a part of any religious tradition, but still believe in an open and relational God. So, in that sense, I think it's maybe overcoming some barriers. I'd like to think it could solve all the tensions between left and right. But uh, at this point, I don't see how that's happening.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, but interesting to bring up that uh, this is a a worldview that's shared by some in other faith traditions. Uh, We've been, uh, you know, sometimes we can be afraid of our differences, or uh, certainly the Christian Mm. tradition has, uh, in some iterations, suggested... uh, you know, following Christ is the way, so to mm. hear that, uh, that Jews and Muslims could also share this uh, open and relational view of the divine, that, that feels a little bit promising.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think so too. You know, in my own life, I grew up on a really small farming community in eastern Washington state in the U.S., And in my little community, the largest religious community was the LDS, the Latter-day Saints, the Mormons. And I was taught as a kid that those folks, they were really off base. They were being led by Satan. And, you know, they were nice people, but don't let that niceness fool you because their doctrine is satanic. Um, But I know lots of open relational, open uh, Mormons, LDS folks and uh, it's one of the beautiful things about this perspective. I don't have to agree with everything in the Mormon tradition, but I can affirm these big ideas that we share in common.
0: Yeah, well, it seems any opportunity to uh, to bring voices together, people into relationship with one another who might never have shown up uh, is a step in the right yeah. direction.
1: I definitely think so.
0: Um, so what's... um. <laughs> What's on the horizon for you? You've got a a book on love coming out again?
1: <laughs> mm. Yeah, more love. I got I got weird news. The one I have planned yep. after this is
0: also on love. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. That's so great. Well, all right. Well, let's not give away your secrets yet. But how about we tell okay. people about this aspect of love, um, this kenosis idea? There's another good mm. Greek word that uh, gets thrown mm-hmm. around in spiritual circles, and you touch on it in this uh, pluriform book. What's mm-hmm. what is kenosis, um, and uh, yeah. how might that in, impact inform someone's spiritual journey in the twenty first century?
1: Yeah, kenosis is not easily translated. Mm-hmm. Let me start there. <laughs> um, the translation I like best is something like self giving and others empowering. It's the idea that you do things for the well being of others and yourself. So it's not some sort of hate yourself and love everybody else, but it's this self-giving kind of activity. And I think it's, well, I think, biblically speaking, Jesus is our best example of what this is. And the famous uh, song in uh, Philippians 2 says Jesus expresses this kenosis. Um, I've kind of picked that up to try to make the argument that, If Jesus expresses this kenosis, and Jesus is our best picture of what God is like, we should think God is kenotic. We should think God is self-giving and others-empowering. And then I add one more idea, that this self-giving and others-empowering is also uncontrolling. And that has a lot of implications, not only for us as we try to imitate that, as we don't try to control others, but also from making sense of why a loving and powerful God doesn't prevent the crap that happens in our world and our lives. Uh, So essential kenosis would say God essentially self-gives and others empowers and therefore can't control and isn't morally responsible for the evil in the world.
0: Well, and I didn't um, I didn't plan to talk about incarnation, but it gets me thinking about um, I mean, who? Uh, well, you know, myself I, I'm I'm a little more receptive to uh, to being influenced by another if if it doesn't come with a controlling. To it, so I get. Mm, me too. I get to think. I don't know if that's just my my feminist take on things, but I bet it's pretty human. <laughs> I think so. Um, and so, I, I don't know. I mean, you've probably written about everything. You've probably written about incarnation somewhere. Uh, but <laughs> no. but there's something about we live in these bodies. We have, um, you know, our emotions, our experience, our, our physiology. Um, How does if it feels like that just connects somehow? This idea of God can't control; we don't want to be controlled. These these bodies of ours uh, want to be open and and giving in our in our best sense. So I don't know if there's a question there, but it's really
1: yeah. uh, I don't know either, but it's thought-provoking. You know, I I think about how much I can't control my own body. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, how many times I wish I could. (laughs) If I had my choice, I would grow a lot more hair on my head than I currently have. (laughs) And there's lots of other things about my body that I can't control. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's frustrating. Let's be honest. I wish I had more influence over my body. Um, But boy, I'm like you. I don't want someone else controlling Mm me because I've seen what happens, not only in terms of the negative things, but also I have a great sense of value in my own autonomy and choice of life. I think most people do. And so having a view of God that says God not only won't control you, but can't control you means that you're uh, choice, autonomous choices in response to God, really matter. The future depends in part on how we respond to this uncontrolling love. I
0: think you can't um, say enough how important that relational piece is. That I mean, you've mm. just sort of explained it. The open part is the there is no controlling, but uh, we are continually called back into relationship and. I guess, with God and humans and all of it. (laughs) Yes,
1: yes, exactly. Yeah, and to move away from the practical just Mm -hmm. for a moment, in this new book, I make the radical claim that God's not just related to us, God has to be related to us in the world. God is essentially related. So there was never a time in which God was like off all alone, and then said, "Oh, I think oh, maybe it'll be related to cre- creation." I make the bold proposal that God's steadfast love really is literally forever, and that's not common in Christian theology, or that claim is not common in Christian theology. Wow.
0: Oh, I could talk all day about this stuff. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, um, I think I want to, you know, bring it to a close in a minute, but I, I have an exciting um, uh, gift to, to offer to our listeners. Thanks to you. Um, we're going to give away a few books, and I think we chose your one of my favorites, Open and Relational Theology. Has um, it got a subtitle too? Or is uh, it,
1: an Introduction yeah. to Life-Changing Ideas.
0: To life-changing ideas. That's it, you got it right. <laughs> um, and i uh, going to invite people to uh, just uh, fire off an email to my info at org email address, which I'll put uh, various places so you can find it. Um, and if I get too many, I'll have you do a skill testing question. But uh, I really want, to, Tom, I just really want to share your books with mm, others thank because you, um, y- you just have such a way of offering both a a scholarly perspective and also just really practical stories and ideas that, that I think will help people in their spiritual way. So, uh, so thank you for, uh, for sharing those books with our listeners. Um, and uh, people can find out more about you at Thomas J. Ord. That's J like your middle name spelt out, O O R D.com. Um, and also your Center for Open and Relational Theology. Um, I've already told them about your amazing podcasts, uh, which are the perfect length for the trip from home to the gym. <laughs> um, before we leave, um, I, uh, Let's just uh, do one of my favorite questions. At this moment in time, um, where do you find hope? Uh, in Yeah, where do you find hope? I don't even need to craft it anymore for you.
1: Yeah. I think I'll answer that in a way that will at least sound abstract at the start, but then I'll bring it down, okay?
0: <laughs> See, that's what I just told you
1: if god is in control i feel hopeless <laughs> if this is the mm-hmm. best we got because god is controlling all the shots man that is no ground for hope for me some people they they really want a controlling god and i say really this is what you think is the best a controlling god can do this gives me no hope on the mm-hmm. other hand if there is no god and it's just up to you and me uh, I don't have a lot of hope there either. I mean, yeah, people, I think, have fundamental value and goodness, but they do rotten, 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 rotten things. And we're ignorant. We're so stupid sometimes. Um, I find hope in the notion that a God exists who's in relationship with us, such that our actions really matter, and we really have a God who's working for what's good, that's the theoretical basis for my hope for the future. What that looks like in specific ways. Well, you asked me right now, the fact that you and I are having this conversation on this podcast about things that really matter. That's a very specific activity that gives me genuine hope.
0: Well, thank you for that. And I, uh, you know, that's an invitation to others to remember that, uh, it's the daily moments of our lives um, where we show up uh, mm. that we can influence change that we can be fully present to one another and I, I I'd say in that we're being present to to the power of God in our very midst I agree mm. I agree thank you so much for for joining us and bringing your whole self uh, to this conversation um i will uh, direct people to check out your website and look for the new book um like i say something for everyone in it pluriform love and uh blessings on the rest of your day tom thanks for yeah, being my here my
1: pleasure beth yeah. thank you
0: you've been listening to souls and souls a podcast for the spiritual but not religious and the religiously spiritual we're so glad to be back with you for season two where I'll be in conversation with mind and heart provoking speakers on topics like artificial intelligence, climate change, beauty and more. These heart conversations for your soul can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, like and share and visit us at canadianmemorial.org podcast to learn more about souls and souls. Until next time.